Good morning. This is Tyler Tucci and Travis Nixon coming at you with Folico Live. Um, we've done a bunch of talking at you this week with a, with uh, our, our earnings data, earnings EPS numbers, um, earnings health scores. So we're going to do a bit more uh, of an informal Folico Live today. We're going to talk through uh, some of our, our early trading uh, experiences with, with Folico data specifically. Uh, we're going to talk about some of my favorite shorts in what I kind of consider this to be the third leg of a bear market. And then we're just going to, you know, talk some some general markets knowledge. Um, and I, since it is stocks to watch, we will give you uh, a, a few because that would be would be wrong to do without. Sounds great. Well, I'm excited to be here. I think this has been an interesting week, Tyler. We've been seeing a lot of companies coming out with quarter earnings that are down as compared to last quarter but not as bad as feared. That's been the that's been the phrase that's been passed around over and over and over again, not as bad as feared. And how has that translated into outcomes for us? Yeah, I knew we were in trouble when I saw uh, a graph of analyst revisions lower had, had peaked um, for for the last 10 years. So I, I knew some of our, our earnings forecasts were, were kind of toast because we'd been mushed. Um, but you know, it's still it's still better than expected. But I definitely will point out it's it's definitely not been great. Um, we definitely haven't had any you know bumper earnings from everyone. Uh, net net, it's really more of is the worst priced as opposed to hey look good news. And and I think that's important, especially in the context of of this move back higher, which has a lot of people excited. Um, we had the Fed meeting yesterday, which was very interesting because we haven't had a, sequ a sequentially lower CPI print yet. Um, and yet OIS swaps are pricing in, I believe, 100 basis points left of Fed hiking. So somebody's going to be very wrong. Either, you know, the Fed is very wrong that they're going to fight inflation or the market is very wrong that the Fed's going to stop. Um, again, our data still, you know, still bearish. And that's to me is going to be one of the biggest, uh, you know, I will be very impressed at the ability of this thing to, to call the turn when it comes. So that is something I'm very, very much watching. We've already called the turn in XBI and we've gone, I guess, neutral-ish banks here. Um, but in terms of, you know, wholesale, in terms of buying, you know, QQQ back and, and the small caps back, uh, I still think we we have some wood to chop. Um, so there's, there's going to be a lot of things going on. We have earnings today, Apple, Amazon. We have, you know, some more time to digest the Fed. So there's, there's a lot of things at play here other than what's the fundamental valuation of, of StockX. Now, Apple in and of itself is almost an economic indicator just by itself. I mean, it is what, uh, is it 8, 10% of the S&P, right? So how they do determines so much and adds context on top of what the Fed just said yesterday, right? So what's gonna happen there, depending, like if you see Apple surprisingly up or surprisingly low, do you think the market follows? It, it kind of has to, at least to, a, to a, you know, on a, on a mathematical basis, Apple makes up a certain percent of, of various ETFs and indices. So if, if Apple slumps, if Amazon slumps, there is no choice for these indices but to go lower. But what is kind of interesting. So I think I, I spoke to, to everyone about two weeks ago about how Apple was setting up a potential uh, bullish urging earnings divergence into earnings. And it's really remarkable because we've pretty much reverted, um, you know, back towards the earnings power of 
about a $15 pre-earnings run uh, higher in Apple there. So it, it negated our trade, but it, it definitely does, again, point to the fact that this earnings power line has significance. Um, price seems to be attracted to it, both from, from uh, the upside and the downside. Um, so obviously, I'm bummed that, that this took away uh, a, bull in, a bullish earnings trade, but it's, it's something that we're definitely keeping track of. Um, but this, this, is, this is also why we're not going to give a large list of stocks to watch, because it's not, it's, uh, the market's going to be driven by a bunch of things. And unless you, you have a great prediction and an edge on those things, we can, we can wait. We can wait until earnings clear. Um, there's, there's no reason to, to jump in here, I don't think. I don't think you know, the market is, is so uh, wholly undervalued that you know, you'll never see this, this price again, if that makes sense. So do you yeah. want to do you want to talk about we had talked about my favorite shorts and, and kind of how I was thinking about um, how to be short in a bear market as it as it changes and moves towards the edge. Um, is that something you want to jump into here? Sounds great, because that pivot point, if we can catch it. Right. And, and that's that's really what we're angling towards is how far away is that edge? Yes, that's so I think uh, we have a video on on short AutoZone. Um, we've also discussed short ABBV. Those are my two favorite trades here um, because I think if the market, you know, perversely, if the market does stabilize some here, I don't think those stocks will perform as well. And I think they will lead the downside. So I like when I have the opportunity to, to win in both directions or win in one direction and lose less in the other direction. That is uh, risk reward, my friends. Um, so I, I really think that, that those are my, my two favorite uh, things to target. I'm looking at about, I'm looking at an earnings trade for ABBV and then depending on how that goes, I'm going to set the longer term trade. Um, I, I probably will do, I, I think I'll layer them um, because if, if we do see a turn, a turn coming soon, you're definitely going to want to be, be long some uh, shorter dated puts as well for a little bit of convexity in addition to you know, building a, let's say three or four month, you know, swing position in some, I don't know, maybe 70 Delta puts, 60 Delta puts. I'll have to, I'll have to give it some thoughts, but um, when calling a turn, I think you want to have, have different layers of the trade because if you do get the turn right, the most explosive part of the PL will be the shorter dated, uh, the sh you know, your shorter dated options um, because of the sensitivity. So it's all about how closely we can define and nail that exact hinge point, which it's it's not just nailing that hinge point. It's nailing when the market realizes that it has hit a hinge point. Right. Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, as as you who have, have jumped into the options pool pretty recently have seen, um, you know, th there's a lot of other rules to that game that you don't necessarily think about. Right. So do you want to do you want to kind of talk through your experience of moving. I mean, you've been dealing with this data for almost a decade, but now we've kind of moved from looking at it in a pure equity Delta one standpoint to just given this output, where can I find the best edge, whatever asset, whatever expression, whatever derivative, where is the best edge? So what, what, what do you think? What are your initial takeaways? Um, because I think it's very interesting that, you know, you're a, 
unbelievably high level data scientist, but a fairly new trader. And that's what some of our customers are, you know, in terms of, um, you know, this is, they don't have a decade of, of options trading experience or, or things like that. They have, you know, good understanding of the markets, but you know, they're making a jump. You're making the jump in with our data, which I think is, is interesting because I don't think there's a lot of people where you can look at the CEO using the product in the same way you're using the product. Right. So I think, I think people will care about this and I, I definitely want you to talk through it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you've got a good point. I've got a decade plus of data science experience, but that doesn't give me an edge over our customers because they're benefiting from the same exact data sets that I produce with that experience. So we're looking at the same data, making the same decisions. And I want to talk through how my experience has been in the past two weeks as I've gone from equities to options. Now, equities, I've been trading mostly on the straight Cinerai prediction of stock prices. And it's nice. You know, you make 4%, 3%, 5% here and stuff like that. So week over week, you put this together over a year and you're looking at a pretty strong portfolio performance. Getting into options and then predicting these earnings events has been a couple things. It has been one of the most fun things I've done in years like this. This is just incredible because you get such instant feedback. But I've also learned that I am not I, I am not an experienced seasoned trader. I have so much that I need to learn on this. Now, I had a few trades this week. Let's talk this week. I had I was really significantly green on just about every ticker I got this week. But I lost my gains in a lot of them because I didn't know how to properly realize them. So this came in with our McDonald's call. Our McDonald's call, we saw that the earnings power was trending a certain direction. We were capturing a lot of the market fear going into that. We missed the actual earnings event. But at one point on my McDonald's contracts, I was up 83, 85%, right? If I'd have realized that gain at that point or rolled the options in order to at least de-risk, I would have been in such better shape than I am right now. There were several tickers that did this same exact thing to me. Now, I had a huge, just a, a few just huge blowout, blowout wins. Watsco and Visa, both of them up several multiples from what I purchased the contracts at. So great. I And that almost lulled me into a trap, especially Watsco, because Watsco happened at the beginning of the week. Let's take a look at that, exactly what happened with them. I'll uh, share my screen here. So WSO comes in, and let's actually just isolate this. There we go. WSO comes in, earnings event, boom. And I had I had puts on that. And so first thing, I didn't realize the gain right away because I'm like, oh, that's a great drop. I'm going to let it ride and, and get even some, some more out of this. And then I saw them appreciating. I, I got really frustrated around here. And then I finally sold the contract midday, July 26th, right? So not as good as I could have done because I think once you capture that event that you're predicting. Now, think about what Cinerai data is doing for a second here. We're capturing some mass psychology going on about how people are viewing this stock. That's what Tyler just showed with Apple. Tyler just showed that earnings power was appreciating while the stock was diverging. And this meant that there was some kind of mean reversion that would have to happen. The way people were perceiving Apple was better than how the, the better than the stock price was being treated, which meant that there was, I'm, I'm going to call it arbitrage. It's not arbitrage in the typical sense of the trader term, but in the strict just dictionary definition, I'm going to call it that there was some arbitrage there to take advantage of while the stock price reverted up to that earnings power line, which 
did happen in a significant way. How much has the stock price uh, healed? Probably about 15 bucks since we identified it in about a month ago. So probably a $15 move over the course of, of the last month. Yeah. Now our models on earnings are bullish for Apple coming into tomorrow. But at the same time, that stock price has appreciated so much over the past month. Uh, who knows exactly how much they could be gaining off of that? I'm not adding Apple into my portfolio because I just I, I think that that's a little bit of a nebulous area as to whether or not that price could go up. And this leads me to the next lesson I learned today. Logitech. We predicted earnings for Logitech so well. Oh my goodness, we nailed it. Logitech, it, it was just a thing of beauty. And let me show you what happened with Logitech afterwards. This breaks my heart. I'm showing you something and, and, and it's still tender for me, audience. So go easy on me. But Logitech comes in and their stock price just, this, I think this was the earnings event right here. It was earlier in the week and their stock price just absolutely charges forward. Now, I was able to realize a little bit of gain on the put uh, because I predicted bad earnings. So I bought some put contracts. Their stock price just absolutely increases and does fantastically well after that. I mean, look at the news that comes out after this. They were they were bad on pretty much every aspect of that earnings call. And yet the stock price just did not go the way that I thought it would. Now, the next thing I learned is if you're if you're realizing huge losses like that, don't just get rid of the contract hold on to it for a little bit because sometimes the market goes your way anyway. And so right around here, July 27th, I was able to recover from a lot of those losses. Uh, and so great. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes you can be right and then wrong. And sometimes you can be wrong and then right. McDonald's, we predicted that they would have down earnings, right? We, we went pretty big on that. Leading up to the earnings event, my options went up 83, 85%. I could have realized that gain. That was the other thing. So I, there's a lot of lessons coming into me on, on how to think about and how to trade options. When you're in the green that significantly at 80% at or so, de-risk, realize some gain. Um, and 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 your your portfolio is going to thank you for it. So um, I, I, does that answer the question, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there was really no question. I just kind of wanted to hear you know, your experience, because I think this is going to be important for, you know, new, new Folico users to kind of think about, okay, so this is, this is kind of, this is the size of my portfolio. This is what I'm doing. How does this help me? You know, even if, you know, uh, I, I work with, for example, I'm working with, with the team on, on some more advanced, you know, like positioning models and things like that. Like you don't need to have all that. You can just, you know, as a starting point, you can come in here, you know, for example, you know, and you can kind of take a look at, okay, over four weeks, what does Folico think? Um, you know, what, what can I, how can I add this, add this to my framework? In this case, we're, we're bullish, uh, XLE, XLE and XL. Well, that's interesting. So that's, again, this is what I love using Folico for. This is a risk off, you know, this is a, this is a, a short, short green days kind of, kind of deal. Um, long energy, long utilities, long consumer defensives against, you know, short technology and ooh, banks um, and healthcare. So, I mean, that, this, this kind of makes sense to me, long energy, short healthcare, um, short healthcare versus pretty much anything at the moment we would, we would, uh, you know, be, be happy to enter. Um, 
you know, in terms of sectors, that's probably our favorite short is healthcare. And the, the favorite names are again, AutoZone um, and ABBV. Um, Not saying that AutoZone is necessarily healthcare unless they've made a massive pivot in the last quarter. I mean, yeah, no, D during COVID they became, you know, the, the mammoth because everyone was getting, you know, three X for their used cars, but you know, we, and we haven't let that premium out. I, I could, I could talk about this company, you know, company all day on the short side. It just seems, um, you know, it just seems really wrong. And obviously those are the most dangerous trades because if really wrong can sometimes just mean you don't understand why. Um, and that's, you know, both humbling and very dangerous. Uh, but what is the periodicity you're looking at for AutoZone on those contracts? Uh, three months, six months till year end. Like this is, this is one of those, like, I think I can short this for 20%, no, you know, 20, 20% drawdown, you know, over the next three months, no problem, or, you know, at least, right. We're really shooting for a big turn and push. Um, you know, same thing with ABBV, uh, Oh, speaking of healthcare, we have a question from Eduardo. How did you manage the, H the HUM results? Thank you for asking. Um, that was one of those this week that, you know, I will say pretty, pretty good. Um, and, and this goes back to what, what Travis and I were talking about in terms of when do you monetize? Because, you know, we took uh, for record keeping purposes, we sold our, our fully go live um, trade at 14 from 10. So that's a, that's a pretty good trade, but had you held, I believe until about, you know, 1030 or 11 central time, those puts almost got up to, you know, 21, 22. So that's, that would been, have been a clean double. So that's something that we are, you know, very, very, you know, working very, very hard at is figuring out if we can optimize the entry and the exit point beyond just we have the edge over earnings so be long over earnings or be short over earnings we're trying to you know distill the next trick will be to just down and distill down to be short till 9 30 be short till 10. um we want to be systematic about what we're doing and that's why when you see when we when we go over um our our report card on, on how our trades did i basically took the price of all the options at the same time. I assumed no trader, you know, kind of overlay whereby I would have I would have held things longer that went up or or down and and were were advantageous, uh, you know, to to my position. So we did not do as good of a job as hopefully you all did, um, if if that makes sense. Uh, because if you held, I believe you pretty much got higher prices on your puts all day long. Um, so that was, that was a good one. Thank you for asking. We can, we can feel a little better about that. Um, we, we love questions that make us look good. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so thanks for that. Keep going. Um, let's just but, not talk about McDonald's, huh? Right. No questions on MCD, <laughs> but I will say this. So, uh, for example, uh, just to emphasize what Tyler's saying. I went big yesterday uh, on three earnings uh, names coming out uh, just this morning. So Hog, which Harley Davidson, Hershey, and Southwest Airlines. Um, so Harley Davidson, fantastic. I think pre-market. Uh, so these were calls that I purchased in pre-market. They're up six point one percent. I'm deeply in the money. So I, I have a strike price of thirty-five uh, on them. So that's that's going to be fantastic. But 
I'm not going to wait anymore. I'm not like there is no more like, oh, I hope they go up another 4% or something like that. No, I'm done. I am selling these calls as soon as the whistle blows at 930. They are out of my portfolio. I'm going to realize the game. Hershey, same deal in the money. Southwest, same deal in the money, except it was puts on Southwest. And now they're down 6.1%. Now that's an interesting one because they actually reported good earnings but we caught that psychological factor, right? Uh, there, there is on the whole list of all the options I got, which I, I went through and I got maybe 15, 16 tickers this week that I was making uh, earnings bets on this week. We really messed up and never had a, ch or I, I really messed up and never had a chance for profit on one of them. And that was range resources. And I got to say, that was honestly just a mistake of reading the data. Like I literally read the data wrong. I was on such a high from Watsco that I was just buying the stuff and range resources comes up. I'm like, yeah, screw oil. <laughs> so I completely destroyed it on range resources, but every single one of them has been significantly green at some point. So if I had had the right trading fortitude, this all would have worked out quite well. I'm excited to realize the gains on these three uh, so that I can I can um, really make the portfolio work for me this week. And that's it's amazing because we were talking about this before the show. I could give 10 people the same 10 stock picks and say, you know, trade these and I'd probably get 10 different equity curves um, because there's just so much more than picking stocks. I mean, that's 20% of the battle. 80% of the battle is, can you manage the risk? Um, because I mean, that's, that's really where, where the difference is made. Um, yeah. And I, and, you know, again, to point to Folico, it's nice to have a process and, and something, you know, supporting your, your process as opposed to just, you know, cause it, it feels a little dark, you know, by yourself, the numbers start turning. You have no, you know, the the price starts moving. You have no idea why. Um, you know, this is this is definitely helpful helpful for us. Yep, uh, absolutely. It's um, you get that conviction. You get that theory. I will say on this, what you're showing on the screen right now. So technology being at minus ten percent, bottom of the stack. I think that the problem with technology being at minus ten percent for me, and why why I agree with your focus on healthcare right now is that we're starting to see prices go up on bad earnings. Look at Google. I got the earnings right. Google did report bad earnings. And yet the phrase that that chart, I mean, they were up, what, 7% yesterday after their bad earnings report. What, what I think is funny is that Microsoft made almost the exact same report. Like it was almost the exact same thing. And Microsoft was down 3% on the news. They did recover when Satya got on air, which always happens because he's like the most, I, I swear he hypnotizes people while he talks because while he's talking, you just feel better about yourself in life, right? So their stock did match up with Google eventually. But my point being, I don't think that the market really knows what to do with tech right now. I think there are there is a camp that thinks that this is the bottom and they're just charging up. There is a camp that thinks tech will never rise again. There's a camp that thinks that it's just going to go sideways. And I find myself in that latter camp more and more and more. I think tech is just going to be crawling. So it, it is the crab market going forward for the next year. It is just a sidewinder. So I, I'm not 
big unless you have really strong tickers individually within tech. I'm not big on making that bet personally. How about you, Tyler? Yeah, same. I mean, our initial our initial fang analysis stands until proven otherwise for me. You know, talk to me in September, October. Uh, I really just have the you know not that anybody cares, but I really just have this feeling we have one more puke lower left um, at least. Um, well, look at the Fed reaction yesterday, and this is this tells me it's still not a serious market. Yes, right? and and well, I mean, yes, to that point. In a bear market, positioning explains a lot more than it does when things are trending up because, you know, a bear market is is mostly just about pain. Um, so we just, you know, we just need to hurt some people, for lack of a better term. Um. Well, and the Fed comes out 75 bips up and they say, ah, eventually, maybe sort of we might calm this down to 50. 50 is still fast. 50 is still fa historically fast. That's yes. We're going to go from breakneck, you know, from to, the, to use the space balls term ludicrous speed. You know, we're going to dial it back down to 50 bips, which is also fast as lightning. So like, yeah. you know, and by the way, we haven't had one inflation print sequentially lower yet. So that's a fascinating one that he, you know, Chair Powell was saying, I'm thinking about thinking about slowing down, but I swear to God, I'll fight inflation. I mean, inflation just printed... <laughs> Inflation printed 9.1. Uh, Kramer thinks that inflation has hit the highs. Um, oh, which he did means, like a month ago, didn't he? No, he, he doubled down yesterday. Well, uh, I, th I think his quote was, oh, no, it's done. Inflation has peaked on the raw materials. On services, it could go wherever. Right. So next <laughs> CPI print, 10. Um, <laughs> but but uh, that's neither here nor there. The point is, the Fed is telling, you know, the market wants the Fed to stop hiking and, and say mission accomplished on inflation when we haven't been able to even flatten it off. And by the way, there are so many other things driving inflation that the Fed has zero control over. So that doesn't surprise me. Um, I am starting to get worried that this drawdown in the, uh, the, the U.S. oil reserve is ultimately going to be a catalyst for another leg higher. Um, you know, and, and that would be a complete nightmare because that's uncontrollable inflation and, you know, oil is at 130 and the Fed's hiking till 10 to, you know, cause a recession to get the price of oil to drop. Um, that's, that's something, that's a, that's a chain of, of thinking that that potentially could happen. Um, but it'll be let interesting. Me, I mean, these, oh, go ahead. Let me paint another narrative and get your thought on it. Fed does a surprise meeting in August because they're scheduled not to, right? They do a surprise meeting in August after some bad CPI numbers come out. And that is the last leg because the market realizes Fed's meeting, whereas they were slightly dovish last time, they're coming in, they're raising another 75 mid where they should be. And that's it. That's, that's, the, that's the point where we start talking pivot. I've been doing this long enough, not that long, but long enough that if the Fed calls a surprise meeting, like fasten your seatbelts. Um, yes, I totally, I don't think they'll call for a surprise because the signaling of it is so aggressive. If they call a surprise meeting to go historically fast, like, I don't know how much more hawkish you can get, right? Like that's, we're so hawkish, we literally couldn't wait four weeks. You know, I actually think, just kind of thinking out loud, we're more likely to see a hundred bips at a, at a scheduled meeting and they'll take, They'll take that whole time to set it up, um, then an emergency meeting to do 75 to then do, you know, another 75 or whatever. 
But the OIS market has, I think, another just one point of, of hikes left. So that's like, you know, 250s and done with inflation not having rolled over yet. So that, that's a very interesting one. You know, I don't know how people have gotten there. Um, in my experience, the best way to trade the Fed is to just listen to them. And, you know, I'll get absolutely flamed for saying that. Like, people are like, oh, the Fed's not clear. They are. They're super, super clear. Um, especially, you know, the edge is usually the chair. In, in, you know, in the Yellen days, like, every time there was some volatility, you could always count on her to be careful. Every time. Um, uh, there was some, some volatility as, as it related to, uh, to CNY and, and the peg and, and some devaluation. And she was supposed to be tightening in September. And everyone was absolute, the market price, it, all this stuff, everyone was absolutely shocked. And she was like, uh, now nah, I'm good. We're going to hike in December because I want to be careful. And, and there was so, you know, everyone was pulling their hair out and all this stuff. And it was like, have you been watching every time? She's careful every time. She shows up to the airport four hours before. This is true. I, believe. I think <laughs> what, she, really? she's at the terminal like three hours before her flight. So do you think someone who is at their terminal three hours before their flight is hiking rates into a currency crisis? Like, no, no, never I, They're putting her in a lounge that I never get to see the inside of my whole life at the airport, though. So they're, they're, she, her time three hours at the airport is not my time. I'm next to 15 screaming kids, McDonald's being thrown at me. She's like listening to some concerto sipping champagne. <laughs> so like... Yeah. I would show up four hours early to the airport if I lived her life. Oh, I'd be rolling in seven minutes before the flight took off. Um, Tell the plane to wait for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be right there. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it is important to to play the, the chair as well as, as the board. Um, you know, Powell's been completely tone deaf before. He, he, he ruined the market so badly in 2018 at the December press conference. His next public speaking event was uh, he was flanked by Bernanke and Yellen, like the Keystone cops. Like, I'm pretty sure there was somebody in the audience with a trank dart where he was like, we're going to continue quantitative tightening. It was just going to be like down, <laughs> you know, and, and, and Bernanke was going to come through the wall like the Kool-Aid man and be like QE4. Like the whole thing was set. So I don't think there's any reason to believe that that he won't bungle this again. Um, especially because it's it's inflation that's the enemy at the moment. So well, I don't think he's got a choice. Everyone talks about what will Powell do. What do you mean? What will Powell do? Look at the CPI print. That's what Powell will do. Like that's the question, though. People don't believe that he has the will to do this, and that is ultimately the bet. It's all one trade. Is do you believe? Do you believe that Powell wakes up in the morning and checks spy futures? Or he checks the inflation now cast. If he checks the inflation now cast, you're short. If he checks five futures, you know, you'd probably start buying them or, you know, selling puts or whatever. But like, that's the whole deal is, is, is he willing to break inflation, even if inflation is not something he totally controls at the moment because, uh, you know, the, of the juxtaposition of all the inputs. Well, so now it, let's, let's do talk inflation for a minute. Because we are seeing raw materials reducing in price. Like, I mean, lumber, aluminum, a lot of these big inputs are just absolutely screaming downwards, right? And aluminum was a huge deal. I mean, aluminum was really bungling things up for a while. So there is actually reason to think that we may have reached 
peak inflation, especially on raw materials. Now, if if we're just hitting it high in the services, then that means that unemployment needs to needs to go up in order to in order to control those costs. But look at housing. Housing is really starting to turn, right? I would not want to buy a new house right now for any, I mean, no matter the opportunity, I would never buy a new house right now. And I think that's where a lot of the market's heading. And, and, and a big chunk of our inflation has been housing. It is entirely possible that we could see some better prints in the months to come. What's interesting about the, the housing thing, though, is we've kind of seen an offsetting squeeze in rents because of, of what's happened with the, the rent buy equation as a result of mortgage rates moving higher. So that's, I mean, the whole thing is just, it's, it's a very weird time. And, you know, people always say stuff like that, but um, I believe it was Druckenmuller who was talking about everyone likes to talk back to the Volcker, you know, the Volcker days and, and kind of juxtapose this and, and that it's not the same. And, you know, the, 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 on the unemployment rate was nine or something when he started breaking everything. We're jamming on the, the brakes at we're at four, you know, so that's, it's so different what's going on. And, and the way that this fallout could, you know, occur and, and roll down is just different than what we had seen before, because this is taking a hot growing economy and crushing it as opposed to crushing an already crushed economy to save it. You know, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see, um, but we need to, in order, if you're long risk, you need to see a sequentially lower CPI print next. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the, oh, three months down the line argument is good anymore. That one worked in like, in April, if you told me by June we'd be slowing, I'd be like, okay, cool. But now we're in August and we're not slowing. So we need to be slowing pronto, otherwise, you need to give him, if you think he's going to, by he, I mean Powell, if you think he is going to stop hiking, the market needs to give him a reason. So if if you, we could talk about it, if, if the next print is six and a half, right? And we've dropped, you know, three handles. Okay, that probably get it, right? Like, so there are ways to get there, but like none of the ways we've seen lately are the ways we get there. You know, if inflation prints at nine again, like, you know, hello, a hundred my old friend, like, <laughs> and I will say as far as the data we carry, and I would argue the data that everyone else carries, there's no great way to, to discreetly predict that you're making a bet. And, and I think that's dangerous. I think that's dangerous. Um, last question for you. And then we got to go semis. I think it was the Senate just passed the bill. Or is it, uh, yeah, anyway, House or Senate just passed the bill. Looks like it's going to go through on a clean sweep on the on the other side, right? Does that, I mean, you you have been bearish on semis for quite a while. Does this change the picture? Yes. I mean, it certainly throws a floor under under what the downside case for, for American semis is. Um, just like, just like Boeing in the last decade got that huge boost because it was, you know, a, a de facto, you know, semi-sovereign. These, these chip makers are, you know, part of the U.S.'s, you know, defensive future, especially uh, if what's going on in Taiwan comes to a head. There's got to be other ways to, to mass produce semis. So, yeah, I, I definitely am not, I'm not shorting semis here. 
I will, sh I will consider shorting semis again at higher prices, especially if full eco data doesn't change its mind, which it really hasn't. Um, but yes, here, probably not yet. Um, I just think kind of generally not yet on the whole market on the reshort. Um, I had seen, we had talked about this. I had seen, you know, up to 4,305 before the reshort because we could just squeeze that, that high. So, um, and that's, you know, an, uh, another thing we had talked about was I just don't, there are 252 trading days in a year. This is not a great day to make a call on. You know, you're, you're threading the needle between the Fed yesterday, Apple and Amazon after the close. Um, there are just better edges and better set, the, you know, better setups. So if you want to gamble on earnings, you absolutely have my blessing. But like, just realize that you're gambling. Except for the ones that, that we picked. We think we have an edge on those, by the way. But aside from those, you're gambling on the rest of them. Speaking of gambling, I'm going to go cash in my chips because uh, 930 is approaching. Hog is all is is still doing amazingly well. Southwest, I think it's going to be an exciting day for my portfolio. Hopefully, everyone, you're you're working with Cinerai Folico data, uh, and you're going to be able to realize the same gains. We'll see you again next Monday, 8.30 a.m. EST. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Happy trading. We'll see you soon.